Hi, I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. You're listening to She Said, She Said. Today, I'm talking to one of the nation's leading experts on healthy eating, the always joyful Joy Bauer. She has inspired millions with her positive approach and her practical, often small lifestyle changes that make a big, big difference. Many know Joy from her regular appearance as the Today Show's nutrition and health expert, She is also a New York Times best-selling author with 14 books to her credit, including a book for kids called Yummy Yoga. It's filled with simple recipes and basic yoga poses designed especially for kids. Her most recent book, Joy's Simple Food Remedies, focuses on healthy food remedies for common ailments. Everything from reducing flu symptoms to combating bloating and brain fog, not to mention reducing belly fat and boosting energy. I love this book. But I have to say, this book is a tie with another of Joy's amazing books called Junk Food for Joy Food. It includes substitutions for some of our least healthy but maybe most beloved meals. Cheeseburgers, milkshakes, lasagna, you get the idea. Joy is also the host of NBC's Health and Happiness TV show. She's a monthly columnist for Women's Day magazine. She's the official nutritionist for the New York City Ballet. She's the mother of two and a regular contributor to more prominent publications than you can count. Joy's resume, as if you couldn't tell, is incredible. I will include some additional details in the show notes for today's episode. Joy and I met last fall at a mutual friend's 50th birthday party, and she was so enthusiastic about She Said, She Said that I asked her to join me today, and she said yes. We're going to talk about nutrition, how it became her passion and her calling, how she thinks about impact, and so much more, including realistic tips for staying on track with those well-intentioned, but often hard to keep, New Year's resolutions. Joy, welcome to She Said, She Said. Oh, I am so happy that we landed in the same place at the same time and you're having me on. So thank you. Well, you are so welcome. I'm just delighted. Let's jump right in. You've had this tremendous, you have this tremendous career and you've had a tremendous body of work to your credit. But I have always wanted to know, how did you get your start? What was it about nutrition that lit you up? Was this something that you always thought you would do? It's a great question. Um, Like, I just did it, actually. I never really thought about doing it. I was born with a passion for health. And I, I, when I press the rewind button and I think about it, I'm one of four kids. I was the first. And my dad is this, like, ultimate health nut. He was, you know, way ahead of his time, so to speak. And um, more so uh, focused on sports and athletics. So when a girl popped out instead of his son, (laughs) he just sort of recruited me and he got me engaged in all sorts of sports and physical activity. And so to me, the healthy food and the exercise just went hand in hand. And I truly had this passion for health from a very, very early age. So I didn't really think about it. I was just out there doing it. And let me tell you, making great big messes in my mom's kitchen, (laughs) I would say from about like five, six years old and on. Um, And, you know, like not necessarily um, culinary and not necessarily (laughs) nutritious. But to me, like I've always been about the food. Mm -hmm. I've been drawn to um, different texture and flavor combinations. I love all different ethnic cuisines. I'm very curious, and I love food, and you put the two of those things together, and you kind of spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Yeah. And at one point, you thought about pediatric medicine. 
I set off. I, I went to college um, actually on a gymnastic scholarship because, again, I was all about the sports. And um, I was pre-med and really wanted to become a pediatrician and, and thought that I was going to go on to medical school. When I graduated undergrad, I decided to take a sabbatical from taking the MCATs and applying. And my sabbatical was getting a graduate degree at NYU in clinical nutrition and really thought it was just sort of this fun interim experience. But, you know, like so many <laughs> things in life, it the light bulb went off. I was in my first nutrition class and I, I just felt like it was a serendipitous moment. I just love all things food. I have this passion for health. Um, the gift of gab, and I really felt that I had found my calling, putting together the exercise and the nutrition. And and in the beginning, I did work in pediatrics, but not from a medical standpoint. I was the director of nutrition and fitness for pediatric cardiology out of Mount Sinai Medical Center. Um, But you're right. I mean, I really set off to do medicine. And even for a lot of years after I graduated and You know, I felt like I had my dream jobs working with pediatric cardiology, but in the nutrition and fitness capacity, I still thought for a long while I was going to go back to medical school. But then, you know, I just started taking off and I loved all of my projects and then just felt so satisfied with this field. Yeah. I think it's so interesting because I suspect people would be surprised to know how seriously you take the science behind nutrition. It's it's always important, but that's really where you approach this from. You're looking at nutrition really from a scientific basis, from a medical standpoint. Absolutely. And um, I think what what the biggest learning curve for me was taking all of that science. You know, I truly am a science nerd, and I'm constantly staying on top of and vetting all of the current studies because, as you know, as everyone knows, the science of food and nutrition is constantly evolving evolving, not necessarily changing so much, but we do evolve. So taking all of that science in, but then really listening to people as well, because we're not robots. You know, there's so many different connections to food, tradition, preferences, an emotional connection. And it is ridiculously hard for people to change the way they eat and the way that they live. So what works for one person is not necessarily going to work for another. Mm-hmm. And just I, I think my biggest learning curve really has come from listening mm-hmm. to people and then being flexible yeah. and being realistic and manageable. Because if I give people tips and tricks and advice that's too radical, nobody is going to move forward. Yeah. Why is it so hard for people to change? What is it about those bad habits that are so hard to break? I think they're ingrained. They're ingrained in us for for so many years, and then we pass them along to our children. Mm. But I also think food can be such a loaded topic. We love what we love. You know, in a a lot of instances, women in particular, they date food. You know, (laughs) we use it as a vice. We use it as our joy, as our anti-stress. We use it for so many things, more so than alcohol, thankfully. But food can be so destructive, um, and it could also be so comforting. Right. And so darn delicious. That pint of ice cream after a setback, right? Absolutely. <laughs> kind of yeah. And we're in control of it. You know, we can eat whatever we want whenever we want. We can't say that for a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it becomes much more than just something that we do for fuel every day. Yeah. Talk about your big break on the Today Show. How did that come about? Was this something you had aspired to? Or no. Was it? <laughs> no, no. I never aspired to be on television. This was completely an accident. I just aspired to help people and be in what I feel is the most rewarding field and career on the planet. But along the way, I love to write. I love to gab. I love to lecture and talk and do all sorts of events. And when I got my first book deal, which way back in the day, it was the complete idiot's guide to total nutrition. Do you remember when we had those series? Yes, of course. And, and that was in what year? I think it was 96. Oh, wow. I was working at Mount Sinai Medical Center. I was an idiot writer. <laughs> I was truly an idiot writer. But the book started to take off, and I think I was just in the right place at the right time. You know, truly a hard worker, loving what I do. But it was a time when people were 
try, we're starting to take food very seriously and not just for weight loss. Mm. They were looking to food as medicine, as a way to enhance heart health, to boost brain power, to um, be more energetic and live their best life. So the books were doing well. They were landing on the desks of a lot of different producers. My first break, if you can call it a break, was on The View. And I laugh when I think about it because I was so nervous. My heart was racing so fast, I almost threw up on my food display. No joke. Um, But I didn't. (laughs) And after that, I got a three-month stint on, at the time, it was Regis and Kelly. Mm -hmm. And then the Today Show was sort of watching and tracking me. And when I got the call from the Today Show, whoa, it was like getting a call from the Pope. Because I grew up with the Today Show on in my kitchen as we were getting ready for school or for work every single morning. So that was very exciting to me. That was 14 years ago. Wow. I have been with the show for 14 years. And I just feel so lucky because it gave me this media platform to reach millions of people with a wealth of health in a matter of minutes. Yeah. And and also now with social media and with more books, um, I just pinch myself. I feel so grateful. I love what I do, and I'm able to have a megaphone, this media platform, to really enhance the lives of so many people. Yeah. You're What's able... better than that? Yeah. And you're on? Um, a couple of times a week mm-hmm. and in different hours. So, you know, a little bit of uh, a mix-up with the demo as well. So it's really great. Listen, there's no better feeling than walking down the street or being in an airport and have somebody come over to you and say, hey, you know, my husband's off of medications because of you, or I was finally able to, you know, lose 50 pounds and feel more comfortable and confident in my skin. I mean, it makes me want to cry. Yeah. But I won't. (laughs) I heard you make a lot of people cry. I I don't make, I mean, people just cry. I don't know why they cry. It's wonderful. It's a compliment. (laughs) It's wonderful. I love it when people cry. How has the way we think about health and fitness really changed and evolved since you've been in nutrition? What have you seen over the course of your career? To me, I feel that we're in a real beautiful place right now. And I think a lot of the credit goes to the education of feeling confident and comfortable in your skin, no matter what the shape and size. And I think what that's done is it's it's given real acceptance and, you know, girl power, so to speak, to just being healthy and not focusing on the numbers on the scale. We are so much more than that number on the scale. And I think that's a huge message right now. Of course, being overweight increases your risk for so many different disease states. But I think the mindset right now is not being fixated on a quick fad diet, but just doing the best you can on a day-to-day basis. And hey, that's going to mean different things to different people. And one thing I always say is like, I don't like to be a naysayer for specific diets. I know that health experts, true health experts have opinions on keto and intermittent fasting and weight watchers and calorie counting. To me, I think that Eating styles are a lot like fashion. Different things are going to feel different and better and more comfortable on different people. And I love that there's so many options out there. And I think people should find an option that fits with their lifestyle. And, hey, you can even tweak that lifestyle to the right, to the left, and make it work for you. Mm -hmm. Because whatever is sustainable and whatever enables you to eat less junk and feel feel more comfortable and energetic and and saner and sounder within your space is the right plan. And it doesn't have to be the right plan for your best friend or for your spouse or your partner or your kids. So as you think about issues like body image, give me your perspective. So I think that... And you also worked, I should say, with Uh, with young people who were struggling with eating disorders as well. Many. So um, after, well, while I was in clinical for many years, I I had a large private practice. And we had many, many nutritionists, high-level nutritionists that had graduate degrees, registered dietitians that worked in various subspecialties. And the reason I'm telling you about this, if you could imagine, I had about 15 different 
registered dietitians that were working for me in this practice, at least five of them specialized with eating disorders, all sorts of disordered eating, because that's how many referrals on a daily basis we were getting to the practice, um, which gives me the chills and it makes me so sad. I think that we're in a much better place now for a couple of reasons. One is there's more attention on it, so people are getting help faster. And parents and physicians are better able to spot red flags and sort of hopefully nip it in the bud way sooner than we were able to in the past. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I think there's much more body acceptance and body comfortability with people of all different shapes and sizes. When we're younger, we're so much more vulnerable. So I think I would be a bit delusional to feel that the younger crowd are so much more accepting Mm. of their bodies in different shapes and sizes as we are as we get older. But I do know with lots of great appropriate media attention, Mm -hmm. it is definitely better. That being said, you know, you and I, as we get older, our generation, we're wiser as we get older. And I think that we're more sensible Mm. and we're more um, accepting and realistic Mm -hmm. and and we're less hard on ourselves and we also prioritize what really is important and it's not the number on the scale and unless you have that age experience and expertise you know it's hard to convince a younger person of that but we've lived through it and we know better but I do think that it's getting you know much healthier. How about with the advent of social media do you worry about that increasing young girls in the way that they think about their bodies and sort of how do you think about that piece? It's horrible. And all the editing on photos, it's horrible. The one thing that we do have going for us at the same time that we have all of this negative influence in the social media direction, we also have a lot of high school education that a lot of it is fake or phony. Um, You know, people spend hours taking selfies to get the absolute right one. Then they have apps Mm -hmm. that edit and crop and put shapes in the right places or take them out of the wrong places. So we are alerting our young girls about this, but it's out there in a huge way. So you remind me that, you know, in some cases we are getting better. In other cases, you know, it's just sort of getting magnified. um, And it's getting harder and harder. We used to just have magazine commercials and commercials on television. Now it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. You mentioned some of the different diets. You don't necessarily weigh in on whether it's good or bad because every person's different, but maybe a little bit of perspective around if you're pursuing a plant-based diet, what are the things that you should be cautious about in that regard? For example, can you really get enough protein as a woman at the different stages in your life through a plant-based diet? You absolutely can. Um, Plant-based diets will never go out of style, and they're only becoming more in vogue right now because the research is building and building. We know that by eating more fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and whole grains and healthy fats like avocados, olive oil, canola oils even, that you can enhance your health and reduce your risk for chronic disease. We know that for a fact. There's oodles of science behind that. But one of the things we need to be wary of is a lot of these plant-based processed products that are now rolling out. They're not necessarily better for you mm. than some of the more wholesome non-vegan or non-vegetarian type type of food. So that's one thing I think you have to be careful of. So you're talking about like some of the burgers yeah. and yeah. So re- you have to really read labels and make sure like you understand everything that's going in there because it could be very processed. So very and, different from your recipes where you make exactly. your own plant-based patties versus buying them at the grocery store. Exactly. And I know convenience is a huge thing and we're all overscheduled. So when you do go to buy some of these things, if you don't have the time to make them at home, just read labels carefully um, because they're not all 100% good for you. That's for sure. 
in terms of having enough protein, absolutely. You can get enough protein eating just a plant-based diet for sure. Because remember, again, the starchy vegetables, I mean, it's not the starchy vegetables, the starchy beans like black beans and white beans, um, chickpeas, those not only have protein, but they have fiber as well. And they help to stabilize your blood sugars. So you're sort of getting like two for the price of one. And stable blood sugars means more energy, uh, reducing your risk for things like diabetes, less volatile mood swings. So starchy vegetables are fabulous. Lentils are like the king of legumes as well. They are loaded, loaded with protein. Also things like tofu. Whole tofu is great. A lot of women are afraid of tofu because of a link to breast cancer. But really, we have great studies that show that even women who have had estrogen-positive cancers can reduce their recurrence by eating moderate amounts of whole soy. So again, whole soy is the key here. We're not Hmm. talking about all the processed soy in bars and protein shakes, but we're talking about edamame. Um, and tofu and tempeh and things like that. So it's really worth your while to befriend it in your kitchen and Mm -hmm. learn a few great recipes um, because it's good for you. Yeah. How about views on fasting? What are your thoughts on that? Interesting science right now. Um, I think we have to watch it and and see how it plays out. But I I definitely am um, intrigued by some of the research. I think Some of the fasting regimens, there's a whole lot of different ones. But basically, you know, what intermittent fasting does is it gives you windows of time that you can eat and then windows of time that you cannot take in anything that has calories, so just water. So the whole idea is to give your digestive system a total break and all of your hormones, you know, your insulin and other hormones as well. I think that one of the best things that anyone can do is to do a version of 12 hours on and 12 hours off. So it's a looser type of intermittent fasting, but you can get positive results from it. And I think from a psychological standpoint, it's really great as women to have a 12-hour window that you're not eating because we tend to eat from the second we get up, we graze all day long, and then into the evening right before we brush our teeth and we hit the sack. This way, at least what it does is it alerts you, okay, if I start eating at 8 a.m. breakfast, by 8 p.m. I'm closed for business. And, and, you know, it just makes you more productive in the evening. Um, I mean, it gives you time to enjoy real evening activities instead of nibbling, 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 yeah. nibbling. <laughs> I've heard you talk or describe your nutritional philosophy as something that you call 90-10. Explain what that means. 90-10. My kids have heard this a hundred <laughs> times. I love it. Maybe a thousand <laughs> times. It means if you go out of your way to eat healthfully 90% of the time, you have 10% of the time wiggle room for small portions of just the indulgent stuff that you absolutely love. And it could be a 90-10 every day. So each day you can allow yourself, you know, something that's not necessarily healthy, but you just love it and you crave it and it's okay. Or you could do it in sort of like a weekly format so that most of the time during the week, you go out of your way to to make super smart food choices. But let's say once or twice a week, you go to a really nice restaurant and you order what you want or what the chef is known for on that menu. I think it's a sane way to look at food because, let's face it, food is so much more than just nourishment and fuel. Mm -hmm. We love it. We crave it. And it makes us really happy. Yeah. I think it's important to build in that wiggle room. How about alcohol? Alcohol is a big big, uh, trip up for an awful lot of people. And who doesn't love a glass of wine with dinner? I sure do. (laughs) I (laughs) sure do. So do I, but I'm I'm trying. I'm doing a dry January. Good for you. I seem a little extra grouchy. We know why. (laughs) No, give me your views on... You actually seem lovely, so it's working for you. (laughs) Thank you very much. how, How do we manage alcohol a little bit better? Or how can we maybe cut some of the sugar in having a glass of wine or a cocktail at night? So when it comes to booze, from a health standpoint... For women, sort of what the calculation or the formula is, up to one drink per day, and that would be considered a shot of hard liquor or a 12-ounce beer 
or a five-ounce glass of wine. So up to one per day. That being said, um, I also know when you open up a great bottle of wine, (laughs) you're going to want to have more than one glass. So I like to look at it as five glasses per week or let's say five to seven per week, and you can sort of, um, you know, bank it or wiggle it around however you, you would like to do. But I think the key is to avoid sugary mixers for sure. So, you know, if you if you love vodka, instead of getting a sugary vodka drink, you can do vodka with club soda and a splash of your favorite fruit juice. Maybe it's pomegranate juice. Maybe it's orange juice. If you love red or white wine, make sure, you know, it's not a double five-ounce glass of wine. You want to make sure that they're not overpouring or you're not overpouring if you're at home. But I think five to seven drinks per week is probably the magic number. And I I also should be responsible and say that if you have any kind of an ailment, like some really do preclude you from drinking alcohol in general, um, especially if you have insomnia late at night, alcohol could tend to help you fall asleep, but then you wake up and you have a hard time going back to sleep. So that would be some, you know, with certain cancers, Mm -hmm. you have to be very careful with alcohol. With certain stomach issues, you want to be careful with alcohol. So that's something that you want to speak with your physician. But if you're okay with alcohol, five to seven drinks per week, stay away from the sugary mixers. The skinnier cocktails will be wine, light beer, or straight liquor Mm -hmm. with some club soda. Um, And just be really careful that when your inhibitions start to lower that you don't get into the snack food because that's the real problem. (laughs) Suddenly, you you know, your edge is off. You don't really have your resolve anymore. And you're opening up the fridge and you're eating leftovers from the night before. So that's where you sort of have to toughen it up. It's great advice. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about good fat versus bad fat, because I think there's a lot of confusion. I find this a bit confusing. I know that an avocado is loaded with fat, but it's the good kind of fat. So if I'm monitoring how much fat I have in my diet, how should I think about that avocado versus some other types of fat? How much of even the good fat should I be having? And and that's a really great point that you bring up because my big fear with this whole good fat, good fat, the more the better these days gets me nervous that we're going to sort of have a do-over of that low-fat crave when we, when we said carbohydrates are fine, but fat is bad, and everybody overate carbohydrates, and then all of a sudden they started gaining weight. The same thing could happen with fat. So the good fat is the type of fat you want to go for. Olive oil, nuts, seeds, avocado. These things are fantastic, but you still have to watch the portions of them if you're watching your weight. If you don't have a weight issue, you're in your happy place, you could eat lots of this type of stuff. But if you are trying to lose weight or maintain a weight, you know, that's a little shaky for you right now, I would say you still want to go easy on the amounts. So when it comes to salads, I would say two teaspoons of extra virgin olive oil and then pour on that balsamic vinegar or red wine vinegar or fresh lemon. If it comes to an avocado and you're adding slices of avocado or guac on your sandwich, I would say two tablespoons of guac or, you know, maybe a quarter of an avocado sliced. You don't want to eat the whole avocado because that's 300 calories right there. I hate to talk about calories, but I also don't want anybody gaining weight Mm -hmm. from eating too much of the good fat. So good fat is marvelous. It helps to keep us satiated. It tastes so incredibly delicious. And it also helps our blood sugar levels. It helps so many great things. It helps to lower cholesterol as well. It's heart healthy. It's it's healthy for every part of your body. But just don't overeat it because I would hate for anybody to have it backfire and then they gain a few pounds. Of the literal bookshelf of books that you have written, 14 and counting, because I know you have number 15 coming out, or maybe 16. No, I may have no lost, 15. 15. Oh, I, I can't wait for you to see that book. Can you talk about the new book, even though yes. it's not out? Okay, good, good, good. Um, because I know it's coming out in... April. In April. Okay. In April. Tell me about the new book. What's it called, and what's the focus? How is it different from some of your other books? Uh, so the new book is called Joy Bauer's Superfood. And it's actually um, based on a very successful series that I have on the Today Show called 
no surprise, Superfood. <laughs> well, it's called Superfood Fridays, and um, you know what I've found is that we have we have a lot of great research when it comes to longevity. People that live to a hundred plus years and in a super healthy manner, right? They're sharp as a tack. They're high energy. They have um, healthy pumpers, hearts, tickers, and so I looked at all of that research, and thankfully we have quite a bit. And I singled out a lot of the key foods. And they're, they're, you know, usual suspects that everybody would know. Loads of colorful uh, produce, berries and cherries, the healthful fats, the whole grains, things like quinoa and farro and brown, more so quinoa than brown rice, but brown rice would certainly make the list. And lots of lean proteins. Lentils, you're going to see over and over again. But I also have um, some guest appearances with chicken and the fatty fish with omega-3 fats and chia seeds and flax seeds and all of the good stuff, lots of nuts and seeds. And then I worked them into 150 what I think are mouth-watering recipes. And I cover everything from deep dish pan pizza to blackberry margaritas wow. and all sorts of Sign me um, up. Yeah, like a saucy <laughs> uh, what do I have a miso cod with bok choy a lot of one sheet pan dinners because I also know that people don't want to slave in the kitchen but I'm really excited about this book thank yeah. you for asking you're so <laughs> welcome you're so welcome talk about the process of putting one of these books together I'm assuming you're trying recipes in all sorts of different ways but how long does it take how long do you work on one of these books lots of eating <laughs> Lots of cooking, lots of experimenting. Now, I am available. <laughs> you are recruited. And let me tell you, full disclosure, I have had a lot of epic fails. A lot of fails. But the fails are great because, you know, like my dad always taught me, every failure is the beginning of a new success. I hear him say that over and over and over again in my mind, and it's so true. Sometimes some of my biggest fails turn out to be huge successes in a totally separate direction because I have a learning from, you know, an entree that I set out to make that turned into a fabulous dessert Mm. that had nothing to do with the original, but I learned something about an ingredient that I had used. So the process goes something like this. I take a category and I come up with a wish list of different recipes that I want to tackle. And I have to say, like, I am only as good as my rock star team. I have a team of incredible chefs and food stylists, and then I have a lot of taste testers. But once we nail a recipe, what I then do is, let, let's say, for example, let me take a recipe that I just did. Um, this is going to sound funny, but I, I had a challenge to make over caramel popcorn. Wow. Sticky, yummy, indulgent caramel popcorn, and I needed to make it in a healthified way. Mm-hmm. So after I come up with what I think is the winning recipe, I then have my husband and my kids and you know family members taste it. And when it gets a five-star rating, I will write it up and I will send it to a wide variety of different types of people around the country. So I'm only sending them the write-up now. These are home chefs, not, you know, expert chefs Mm -hmm. by a landslide. And then I have them try it and send me pictures and weigh in with their critique because I need to know that it's going to translate to a regular kitchen. And when it comes back and I get rave reviews from those people around the country, I know I have a winner. So it's exhausting, but it's super rewarding to put a book together because you'll know that every single recipe – including the blackberry margarita and the Miami Vice and pina coladas. And um, I have a chocolate Nutella layered crepe cake that is to die for. They were all tested by many, many people. And, Uh. you know, they came back with that five-star rating. So it's a long and grueling process, but it's so fun and it's so delicious. And like I said, we do a lot of eating. Yeah. It's very rewarding. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Okay. Because it's still January, but we're toward the end of the month. If most people are like me, and I know that they are, they've set resolutions for health and wellness, drinking more water, cutting calories, losing pounds, et cetera, et cetera. But here we are, you know, mid-month. It's really easy to start getting off track. Talk about your tips and tricks for staying motivated and helping people stay on track with their goals. 
the most important thing before you even make any goal whatsoever is coming up with your reason. Some sort of powerful, enduring, significant reason for wanting to get healthy and then making that health plan stick. So basically, your why. Absolutely. Why do you want to do this? And then I tell people, like, write it on 10 different stickies or post-it notes. Put it on the vanity in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Put it on the side of your fridge. Put it, like, in your wallet, on your computer screen, wherever you're going to see it over and over and over again. And you can change and evolve with that reason, your why. But you have to start with that. And it can't be something small. It's got to be big. And the second thing I would say is this is going to probably sound a little crazy, but to think small. Because while the big goals are so awesome, I think it's the small weekly goals that we set for ourselves that fuel our motivation along the way, that give you that pat on the back so that you continue going throughout January, throughout February, March, April, May, and you eventually reach your finish line. So what I mean by that is, let's say you have a big goal. You mentioned weight loss. Mm -hmm. I want to lose 25 pounds. Or maybe it's I want to get off of my statin medications for cholesterol. Or maybe it's I want to run the New York City or Boston or DC marathon. (laughs) Those are amazing goals and I love them. But that's a long-term goal. The short-term weekly goals should be very tangible and that you know are realistic, digestible, and you can cross off. And I like the action goal. So maybe it's this week I'm going to walk 30 minutes every single day. And then when you get there, cross it off. Give yourself a hug. Then add another one. The next week, I'm going to bring a piece of fruit with my brown bag lunch to work every day this week. Or this week, I'm going to try a new exercise class. Or this week, I'm going to try two of Joy's healthy recipes for dinner. And I'm going to dust off my slow cooker. But, like, that's the idea. You just want to build this arsenal of weekly small goals because they add up so quickly. Yeah, absolutely. One of the goals that I love is to incorporate a vegetable into every single meal. It's so simple, and I love the idea of adding food versus taking food away. So if you make an omelet, add whatever leftover vegetables you have from dinner the night before into that omelet for breakfast. For lunch, have a gigantic salad, or if you're having a sandwich, make sure that you layer vegetables before adding that top slice of bread. And then with dinner, sky's the limit, right? You could have a stir fry. You could start with a soup. You could have sautéed spinach or broccoli or Brussels sprouts on the side. But if you have each and every meal, um, a vegetable incorporated, you're automatically showering your body with more vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, fiber. And vegetables fill us up instead of filling us out because they're high volume and they're low calorie. So they quite literally check every single box. It's the easiest way to boost your health. Yeah, that's great advice. Really great advice. We talk a lot about confidence on this program and, you know, where guests get their confidence. What do they do when their confidence lags? Talk about where confidence comes from for you and what do you do when when you're, you wake up and it's just not there? How do you get your mojo back? I would say that my confidence innately comes from my parents. I mean, my parents have always pushed me to get back, right back on the horse if I should fall off, or the bicycle, or like, you know, whenever I have a curveball from life, it wasn't an option, but to shake yourself off and like forge forward. So that's how I've always managed my life and my obstacles and my hiccups. And Lord knows I have had a lot of hiccups. I have a hiccup every single day. And again, I go back to my dad saying like, you know, every failure is the beginning for another success. So that's how I've always handled these obstacles. And I hope that I've taught my kids the same skill set as well. And, you know, it makes me think about, do I ever have obstacles? Oh, my goodness. I, I have fallen off my high heels right onto my butt on national television. <laughs> 14 million people watching. And, by the way, NBC being so sort of nurturing and protective over their talent. What did they do? 
they slowed it down and they put it to chariots of fire music and they sent it out into the world and it made it on all of the holiday, you know, recap bleeps and blunders at the parties. Hilarious. But yes, I have done all of this. I have been called out for by the hosts for, you know, not liking some of my recipes on national television. You roll with the punches. Yeah. You just like learn how to laugh and, you know, pivot and, you know, Fortunately, every single day is a new chance, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I always like to wake up in the morning and think about the glass half full. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. How about advice for the non-cook? While I did test some of your recipes, as we talked about before, I'm not a cook. People that are listening to this are like, you're the last person in the world who should be talking to somebody about cooking and nutrition. I try, I dabble, but it's not really my thing. Okay, so for people that don't really cook... You know, the person who, by default, gets more takeout than probably they should. Always remember this. It is not where you eat. It's what you eat. And there is something healthy to be ordered in any single restaurant or takeout facility these days, truly. And the also the nice part is, you know, with, with so many different dietary concerns and restrictions these days, make your needs heard. Because if you want a sauce on the side or you want something made without, you know, a gluten or, you know, a particular spice or garlic or whatever it may be, restaurants and delivery services will accommodate. So don't feel bad about that. I know as women, we are so overscheduled. We do so much because we're amazing. We are amazing. All you need to do is come up with a healthy list of orderable items or take outable items from the various places that you frequently visit or call in from or drive through and put that in your automatic pilot memory. They're there waiting for you. And don't feel bad about it. You don't have to cook. I love to cook. I love to cook. And I, I'm going to say, though, that my recipes are very, very easy. Mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to be slaving in the kitchen. So they really are very, very simple. And you could also Google around and find many, many other healthy, simplified recipes. Don't be intimidated because cooking is such a great form of therapy. Maybe I say this because I just love to do it. Like to me, there's nothing more zen and therapeutic than being alone in that kitchen with some Bruce Springsteen playing in the background or whatever and just cooking up a storm and then sitting down to a delicious dinner that you actually prepared. You were in charge of what went into that meal and what stayed out of that meal. But if you can't swing the cooking, remember, it's not where you eat or where you get that food from. It's what you eat and what you order. So just be very, very particular about what you're selecting and don't don't feel bad about the takeout. It's great advice. You are inspiring me, I have to say. I may have to take another run at it. I, I have been a big fan of the slow cooker, which is kind of like the middle ground. It's not really cooking, but it kind of is, and it's certainly better than takeout. It's real cooking. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I, I call it a magic pot. It is I a magic pot. I feel like the slow cooker is a personal chef. <laughs> you chuck everything in in the morning. You set the timer. You set the, um, you know, low, medium, high. You put the lid on, and off you go. You come back in the evening, and you're your house smells so incredibly amazing, and you have like a gourmet meal waiting for you. I love the slow cooker. I think I like the slow cooker better than the Instapot, even though I, I understand and respect, you know, all of the value that you get from that Instapot, exactly mm-hmm. like it's called. But um, there's nothing like that slow cooker. I yeah. love gadgets. My kitchen is so filled with gadgets. So what's your favorite, if you had to pick your favorite kitchen gadget? My onion goggles. What? <laughs> I have onion goggles. I don't know what that is. You put on the onion goggles. It it looks like ski goggles. I don't look very sexy in them. <laughs> but you don't shed a tear when you chop on onions. Wow. And I chop a lot of onions. Yeah. And I love chopping. Again, so therapeutic. I may be the only person in the world. Maybe other chefs will say the same thing, but and I don't even call myself a chef. I don't I wouldn't even put myself in the chef category. I'm a nutrition expert and a mom who just loves to cook, and I've sort of figured it out. I I never went to professional culinary school, but I will say these onion goggles are just incredible. (laughs) And when you have the onion goggles on and you're not tearing, 
the chopping of that onion becomes therapeutic. Wow. You're just in the zone. I'm doing movements now. In the zone, you know? You're just... I'm going on Amazon right now to order my onion goggles. You send me a picture? I will send you a picture. I'm putting that all over social media. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Well, I, I do I do love the idea of the slow cooker, as I said before, and I know you've got some amazing recipes Frankly, several that really surprised me. It's a great way of cooking all the beans and legumes and all those things that we talked about before. But you also have an amazing recipe for banana bread in the slow cooker, which blew my mind. I never would have thought about baking something in my slow cooker. Yeah. So you you can bake in the slow cooker. And what I love about things like the banana bread is if you make that at night and then you go to sleep, especially if you have company over or you just want to have a cozy weekend, luxurious breakfast, you wake up in the morning, your kitchen smells like a bake shop and you have warm, delicious chocolate chip banana bread. I mean, come on. And you can do the same thing with steel cut oats. I like to make a steel-cut oats topping bar. So when I have guests staying over, or even like when my kids are home, my kids are older right now, so when they're home from college or they're in from work or we have holidays, I'll make that steel-cut um, smorgasbord. I'll make the base at night before I go to sleep, and then when I wake up, I just set out all of the mix-ins on the side, and everybody makes their own. And the steel-cuts, because it's been sitting overnight in that slow cooker, it's creamy and it's velvety and it's so flavorful without having to add any sugar because you can put in chopped fruit and some, you know, vanilla or maple extracts and it is just the bomb. Sounds amazing. Sounds absolutely amazing. We have so much ground to cover and I feel like we haven't even touched the surface, but I want you to talk for a minute about the Joy Fit Club, because that really broke new ground. This, you know, you started this a number of years ago. This was before the biggest loser television show. Right. This, these were people who were losing 100 pounds or more, so a very significant amount of weight. How did those stories impact you and your approach to your work? In a huge way. I, the first thing that comes to mind, um, so, so just to fill people in on what the Joy Fit Club is. It's it's a club that in order to be initiated and to become a member, you had to have lost at least 100 pounds just through diet and exercise alone. So no pills, no potions, no surgeries. And not that I'm against that stuff. I think there's different things that work for different people. But for my particular club, it was the good old-fashioned way, eating well, exercising more. And what we found is that there are so many people without fancy personal chefs and trainers and gym memberships who are able to accomplish this enormous, extraordinary feat, truly spectacular success stories. Some of the people I worked with personally and others just wrote in and shared their story with me. And to date, we're down over 50,000 pounds. So that's how many people have been able to accomplish this, which I hope is really inspiring for your listeners because all you need to do, again, is believe in yourself, take it one day at a time, and big things happen. Mm. How rewarding was this for me? I mean, every day I would listen to another story is a pinch-me moment. These are people who not only have transformed their bodies and their health, but their entire world. They started dating. They got married. They had babies. They climbed mountains. They had Caribbean vacations where they would finally, you know, put on a bathing suit. They started new careers Mm -hmm. because their confidence was there. They, they, They reshaped their entire life. So, again, I mean, I just have goosebumps right now thinking about each and every one of them. Just, like, remarkable and so humbling. So very, very humbling. Right. You know, everyday people doing such big, extraordinary things. And it just gives you belief in our abilities to be being able to accomplish anything and everything. And also giving opportunity to people that are less fortunate. And, like, this is that whole paying it forward mentality um, because they are now out there paying it forward and helping other people. You know, I had this one person who was so so elated with their own transformation that they then started with church groups and helping them. So it was like a whole domino effect. 
just amazing. It is. I amazing. love my job. <laughs> I know you love your job too. We're just we're so incredibly lucky. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, that really it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Okay, Joy. One final question that we ask everyone who comes on the podcast. We ask for a single piece of advice, a life hack, or a mantra. You've given us amazing advice as it relates to healthful eating and healthful practices and perspectives. But if you had to boil it down to one thing, what would yours be? To really find something that you're super, super passionate about and find a way to either make it a significant hobby or a career. In my world, I was lucky enough to to be able to make my passion my entire existence, right? It's my career, it's my personal, it's my it's my hobby. Um, but I think it's just so important to figure out a way to evolve with something that you absolutely love. And if it becomes a career, to be very, very smart about it and to make sure you truly do love it because you will be eating and breathing and living it 24-7, right? When it's your own business, there's no time off whatsoever. And make sure that you hire very, very smart people, true experts in the areas that are not within your wheelhouse. Joy, thank you so much. This was amazing. I oh, really, really loved it. Thank you. This was so fun for it's me. So fun. I, I may not it. leave. <laughs> I'm here. Either. I'm coming home with you. Are you kidding? <laughs> what are we having for dinner? <laughs> you tell me. I know that we're having the banana chocolate chip bread for breakfast. <laughs> Amen. That's <sister>. a given. <laughs> I'm going to have to try it tomorrow. <laughs> to learn more about Joy, be sure to check out the show notes where I will include links to her latest book as well as an opportunity to pre order her new book coming out and some of my personal favorite recipes as well. Again, even though I'm not a cook, I dabble here and there. And we'll include some photos from our visit today. And remember, if you're enjoying She Said, She Said, please send me a note. You can reach me on the website contact page or at laura at lauracoxkaplan.net. I am so grateful for you, our listener and this growing community of women who are empowered and excited to learn from each other, who are willing to share what's working, how they've overcome challenges, large and small, and what impact means to them. It is truly inspiring, and joy was incredibly inspiring today. As always, thanks so much for listening. 